This episode contains strong themes that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to season two of Media Minded, the show guiding you through the age of disinformation. We'll be speaking to ex-conspiracy theorists, exploring their journeys in and out of the rabbit hole of misinformation, as well as experts. Yes, those people we've decided to completely disregard this decade. Well, we're bringing them back because, and this might just be me, years of study trumps a three minute YouTube video. Join us as we explore unconscious bias and address those who would sacrifice truth, integrity and objectivity on the altar of disinformation, propaganda and conspiracy. This podcast is produced by Shoutout UK, the leading political and media literacy education platform and is made possible by the generous support and sponsorship of the US Embassy here in London. I am your host, Matteo Bergamini founder and CEO of Shoutout UK, here to challenge your understanding over the world around you and hopefully not challenge your attention span. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. These words, taken from Keanu Reeves' character Neo during the closing monologue of the hit film The Matrix, offers up a stark warning to the world of machines. Having discovered that humanity was trapped in a simulated reality. In the film, Neo is offered a central choice of a blue pill or a red pill. Take the blue pill and Neo returns to life blissfully unaware of the Matrix or the simulated world. Take the red pill, and he becomes enlightened to the truth, no matter how painful. Not even a visionary prophet like Neo could have predicted the adoption of the red pill metaphor by incel and other male supremacist communities. In their worldview, the meaning of the red pill is to challenge the quote-unquote reality that women run the world without taking any responsibility for it. Operating in echo chambers of online forums, blogs and closed social media platforms, incels have gone one step further by introducing the black pill mentality, a philosophy that women choose partners based solely on physical attractiveness or status. The black pill mentality offers incels no alternative but to accept that they are destined to be alone for life. Alongside pickup artists, men's rights groups, and other male supremacist movements that exist within the so-called manosphere, incels have developed an insular and radical community which has helped inspire mass violence in Santa Barbara in 2014 and in Toronto in 2018. Today, the metaphor of the red pill has achieved broad popularity. From incels to infowars and QAnon to full-blown neo-Nazis. Not to mention that in the digital age, we are increasingly unable to distinguish fact from fiction, reality from simulation. That's why in today's episode, we're joined by two academics who will, metaphorically speaking, flush the whole pill bottle down the toilet. Lisa Sugiura 
is a senior lecturer in criminology and cybercrime and primarily focuses on researching technology-facilitated gender-based abuse and sexual violence. Alongside Lisa, Maeve Park is a subject matter expert on far-right movements, male supremacy, and the incel movement. So I'm joined now by Lisa Sugira. Hi, Lisa. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time. Um, so first of all, can you tell me a little bit about your educational background and how you got into studying the incel movement? I've been researching online gender-based violence for about six years. And so within that sort of field, I've been looking at sort of communities that are engaging in sort of harmful, abusive behaviours, looking at sort of broader misogyny online and how rape culture is perpetuated online. And that inevitably led me to discover the incel community back in 2017. And um, so I've been sort of looking further into incel behaviour since then. What are the origins of of this movement? Can can this be traced back to 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 something and you know an earlier men's rights group or, yeah, or something else? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I think if we just look in isolation at, at incel, mm-hmm. I mean, originally it was a gender inclusive community created by a queer woman called Alana Boltwood, uh, Alana Boltwood in the um, so early nineteen nineties, and it was you know originally envisaged for anybody of any gender who was lonely, hadn't had sex in a long time and just needed, you know, needed some sort of solidarity. Um, and and then over the sort of decades, it's become, you know, foremostly appropriated by by men um, and sort of twisted into, into something else. Although I think it's important to note that it's not a homogenous community mm-hmm. in cells. I think, I think, the, the concerns are rightly leveled at misogynist incels, but I think there's still some people that self-identify as incel who don't necessarily have that bitterness and resentment and are aligned with that kind of maybe hostile ideology. Mm-hmm. But those people, those I think those those within the misogynist sort of spheres uh, within um, the incel spaces, um, certainly the ideas there um, are not anything particularly novel. Um, in my work, I traced it back to the origins of the men's liberation movement, which um, emerged in the sort of 1970s. And interestingly, that was aligned with second wave feminism initially. Um, they had the same perspectives, realizing that sort of patriarchal structures were incredibly damaging for you know for both men and women. Um, but unfortunately, the 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 kind of become a sort of difference of opinion and this sort of splinter group kind of emerged then from the original sort of um sort of gender inclusive and feminist supporting men's liberation movement um to become uh, more commonly known as the sort of men's rights movement um where really they started to see sort of feminism and then women as the enemy 
actually that you know men were being victimized and they, they kind of needed to strike back and at the core of that is what we see online and that's not just contained within incel or misogynist incel spaces that's part of the ethos of the broader manosphere as well of which incels are part of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm glad you mentioned you know the 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 idea that you know patriarchal structures are damaging to both um men and women because often we we think it's you know one-sided but and, and, and you know there's this um especially i'd say in 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 men's right activist groups there's this kind of idealization of of the past of of how things used to be um yeah. and although yes you know men um were seen as the head of the household and all those kind of you know traditionalist tropes um but often we kind of sweep under the carpet that actually, you know, being the head of the family and the only breadwinner of, you know, a family of, let's say, arguably, you know, four kids, um, whilst also, you know, upkeeping and being the only one that comes in with any income is incredibly, incredibly stressful. Yeah, um, it's and pressurized. to to remove, you know, to remove the the idealization of that, all you got to do is look at the suicide rates of men at the time, the mental health issues that were going on at the time, like it we often forget that actually it wasn't it wasn't rosy um for anybody you know that system was not good for anybody um but again whenever you look at the past we tend to not look at what was reality we tend to look at what we idealize as 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 that kind of reality i guess um and yet and yet that past is very much what incels and, and others within the manosphere are are, are asking well, that's what they're desiring they think that you know say that it was a it was a much nicer time where where uh people knew their rightful place you know that they had specific roles to adhere to but as you said it's incredibly damaging you know and reductive as well that men's only worth is you know the the monetary value that they can bring whereas women's is just in their looks mm-hmm. yeah that's it that's really you know incredibly restrictive and damaging. and they say there's one way to be a man there's one way to be a woman um and yet that's that is still very much a core driver this is where it crosses over with things like white supremacism supremacism and christian conservatism you know that that idea that traditional values need to need to be regained or they're being lost currently mm-hmm. um and this is this is obviously where we see the downfall of society and and that's what they're obviously trying to achieve Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's almost like the, the the much more toxic equivalent of speaking to a grandparent and then saying oh back in my day it was it was this much better or that much better when um of course in reality it just wasn't like regardless of how we how we phrase things it, it just wasn't for a number of reasons um you've mentioned the, the manosphere and I, I have to ask what is it okay so i mean it's so <sighs> loosely connected groups which are so they mainly kind of share the the overarching um dislike of feminism um uh that they you know that they kind of believe that society is unfairly in favor of women and and the kind of misandrist perspective that you know that men need to kind of um, fight back, retaliate for their very survival. And said, so there's lots of different groups within it that kind of share some commonalities, but also have their kind of unique idiosyncrasies. So, what kind of groups um, make up or kind of support the manosphere? Like. <laughs> Okay, so I mentioned men's rights activists, and I would say that they are the the most sort of 
commonly associated with um, the, the kind of contemporary formation of the, the men's rights movement, essentially. Um, and actually, they don't get as much concerned attention as, as I believe they should do, really. And they, they get, um, I mean, I think they're more accepted mainstream wise as well. They've got some pretty big commentators who I'm not going to mention here, but they get people to get, a, you know, a quite big platforms that are able to espouse their ideas. They are very much of the opinion of, of, that we need to return to those kind of traditional values um, that the anti-feminism to be anti-feminism is necessary in today's society so because of that stance they really actively condone the abuse and harassment of women particularly high profile women particularly women that that maybe identify as feminist as well as i said there's not you know i think i think there's not as much attention on them as necessary well, why do you think men's, that is i mean because you know when, I, when you say men's rights you would it, it kind of sounds almost um positive yeah, right. Like absolutely. who 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 wouldn't agree with with um, men having rights? Not that I, as a man, ever felt the need to uh, ever fight for my rights. <laughs> I just think it's kind of ludicrous. Um, but it sounds legit, yeah. right? Like it, it just no. But they're not concerned with genuine men's rights and or genuine men's issues. You mentioned earlier about the suicide rate, which is still astonishing, particularly in this mm. country, you know, and I think, I think, is it one in, one in seven men or something or something, but, or seven times, sorry, seven times men more than women or something. I can't write, so do not, you know, so obviously don't quote me on that statistic, mm. but I know it's, I mean, it is really stark in comparison. Um, and they're not concerned with things like that. They're not concerned with um, fighting to establish more shelters for, for male victims of domestic violence, for example. Instead, they'd rather they'd rather um, try and take away shelters for women. Instead of saying, oh, we need men for men, they're saying, oh, well, women shouldn't have them because actually they're lying about, about sexual violence and false rape mm -hmm. allegation is a much bigger issue. Well, it's a big issue and it's not, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, instead of, I say, focusing on, on the actual, you know, mm -hmm. the causes of, of what is, you know, what are genuine men's problems. Um, so the name is a bit of a fallacy, men's rights activists. I mean, really, it's probably, you know, just anti-feminism, I think. <laughs> That's that's so interesting you say because the the first thing that came to my mind um, when when you said men's rights I would have thought oh they'd be talking about for example um, uh, you know working to make sure that fathers have a have a similar um, right uh, what's it called yeah. rights to their child because at the moment yeah. it's, it's very much geared towards the mother for certain potentially obvious reasons but there is um, there is an issue there uh, yeah. as you say mental health towards men pushing men to be a bit more emotional and having those kind of conversations and being more open about it um, which is of course ironic because all these things are very uh, pushed down um, yeah. and disregarded by, by by conservative thought because you know the conservative ideal of a man is being very stoic uh, refusing to show emotions um, being very financially driven all those kind of things so it's it's almost ironic because the the idea of what men's rights should be talked about are in exact uh conflict with those yeah. traditionalist it's, views which are actually very very negative towards men sorry absolutely i say it's complete it's a complete contradiction 
And you mentioned sort of father's rights. And now you do get father's, um, father's rights activists as well, who are distinct from men's rights activists. And I would say that they, yeah, I mean, what, what is driving them are, you know, legitimate, genuine, men's issues you know paternity rights um and so they, they're less kind of um associated with the sort of misogyny and, and abuse you know and you know that recognition that the patriarchal structures that yes they they often do favor the woman and that you know the mother and that can be unfair and that can be damaging for both you know that expectation that women are automatically maternal and the better parent you know that is that's actually you know, you know patronizing as well and you know very you know um so rigid for you know for, for women to be um as well so you know i think there's, there's, there's that recognition that yet yeah, father's rights activists within the manosphere i think yes you know that they are they are trying to um you know, tackle some of the some of the same issues that i think you know feminism is the manosphere stretches from lukewarm anti-feminism which idealizes the days when women were relegated to the kitchen through to the extreme glorification of rape and gender-based violence. There is a scattered collection of male supremacist groups that exist within the manosphere. Incels are perhaps the most violent and extreme, but they are by no means the only group propagating anti-feminist and anti-female contempt. To navigate this loose confederacy of branded toxic anti-feminist groups, Maeve Park helps cast a light on the tropes of victimhood that exist within this sphere. So I'm now joined by Maeve Park. Hello Maeve. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. How about yourself? Good, good. Not too bad. Yeah, just here in London, overcast day. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's pretty, pretty standard. Um, <laughs> on to the joyous topic of uh, incels and male supremacy. Um, so, you're part of the Institute for uh, Research on Male Supremacy. Can you tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about the Institute and the kind of work you do? Yeah, so um, the IRMS, or the Institute for Research on Male Supremacism, is a kind of collaboration between academics in, in different countries, mostly North America right now. It was started by um, an academic in California, in Berkeley, but um, we also have academics in Australia and Europe all working on this idea of male supremacy, um, which is a kind of a new enough term, but um, is something that we are just kind of pointing at as having always been there um, through well, at least um, from the mid 20th century on. So when we look at the kind of anti-feminism coming up in the 1970s, along with the men men's rights movement, um, that's kind of where we start to really see patterns of what we call male supremacy. So um, the RMS basically work to expose and challenge narratives that provide shelter to male supremacist movements. And it, it basically like it seeks to advance theoretical understandings and practical analysis of contemporary threats. So basically what that means is we try to like work out what's happening and then kind of share that knowledge as fast as possible and as clearly as possible with kind of the general public, people in the media, people researching um, far right movements, extremist movements, and kind of, you know, give them the knowledge that we're working on um, in the background between us. And I kind of got started there by working on the Proud Boys 
So I worked on the Proud Boys in 2020 before they became all kind of on the scene and cool and like in the media, but they were kind of bubbling up beneath the surface and we kind of pinpointed them um, very early on as a male supremacist organization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I also work for Groundswell Project UK, I should say that as well, um, which is based in London. And we do a lot of um, counter um, narrative work around extremist ideology. And we help basically build resilience around kind of extremist ideology and hateful ideology and racism as well. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, amazing. Amazing. Um, I'm glad you have you, to have you on. Um, so to kind of begin with and begin unpacking this um, mm -hmm. before we go into um, Proud Boys and... Um, I believe your kind of uh, main focus of the work is kind of the incel um, movement, the infamous incel movement. Mm -hmm. um, but before we touch on that, so in a kind of nutshell, what is male supremacy for someone that may never have heard that, that term? Yeah, so the word supremacy, we've probably heard time and time again in relation to white supremacy. Um, but the word supremacy holds as um, superiority. So it is this idea of superiority. Um, but when you're looking at kind of a movement based around the kind of supremacist idea, um, a lot of it is about we were supposed to be in charge, we were supposed to have it all, but now it's been taken away from us, it's been robbed from us. So white supremacy talk about how, you know, um, the, the white man in charge is no longer in charge and how dare that be the case, or at least his power is under threat. Um, how dare that be the case? And male supremacy is about that, but in terms of men, um, quite frankly, um, this idea of men used to very much and, you know, still do, but used to probably much more have the power in the world and the political sphere in the public arena. So men were the breadwinners, men were the politicians, men were the decision making tables. And, you know, women weren't involved back in like before feminism much you know, um, but now male supremacy is about trying to kind of reclaim that idea of men being kind of the natural leaders, the natural decision makers, and they should be back in charge because that was better for them, <laughs> better for them. They'll say it's better for everybody, but it was better for them. That's what they think anyway. But it's very kind of convoluted because at the same time, they really do feel like they are under threat and that they are being oppressed by this kind of like evil force of feminism that has come along and has subjugated men like nearly entirely. And that's why they build their movement around this idea of they should have been in charge, they should be in charge, but they're being oppressed by feminism and society and the society driven by feminism, basically. Yeah. So how would you define an incel um considering what you've seen yeah okay so there's like the incel identity and then there's like the kind of narratives put on to that so and and this is kind of the kind of nuance that has been missed in the media. And I think that's what's going on online now where we're seeing a lot of people kind of um, conflating incel and misogyny. Um, the incel identity, it stands for involuntary celibate. So it's pretty specific. It's, it's about um, people, well, men, um, who have issues attracting women for romantic relationships, for sexual relationships. So these are guys who never had a really, never had a date, um, you know, never had a first kiss, most of them, um, never really had positive interactions with women and would be all virgins. 
um, because they are pretty specific about what they decide is an incel. You do have to kind of follow their guidelines and they will kick you out of their forums if they think you are not an incel. So if you do say, oh, I actually, you know, did have a girlfriend 20 years ago or 10 years ago, they'll be like, ah, you're not allowed. The idea is... So fathers are kind of out, out the question. What, sorry? Fathers are kind of out the question, considering. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. It would not be for divorced men. It would not be for men who are just going through a bad breakup and feel like they just are angry at women for a while. Mm. These are for men who really never had any interactions um, romantically um, with women. Um, But at the same time, that state is actually not in itself a boogeyman or a badness. You know, there's nothing wrong. And it's sad. It's a sad place to be in if you can't attract love. Um, It's a, you know, it's a depressing place to be in if you're, you know, any person and you want to be in love and you never really had success. So that in itself, the identity itself is not what we should be demonizing. And I do think there is some kind of demonization of sad, lonely people online now, thanks in part to the media, making them all out to be a part of the misogynist incel movement. So we do have to be careful there. Then there are misogynist incels um, who adhere to um, the ideological worldview called the black pill. I will make sure to say not every incel who believes in the black pill is misogynist. But the black pill definitely lends itself. It's a happy home to be a very, very violent misogynist person, as well as a very nihilistic and depressed um, kind of life as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. So you mentioned the black pill, and of course, I'm gonna I'm gonna have yeah. to ask what it is. It is from the movie The Matrix. It does come from. Um, this idea of understanding the harsh reality of the world because all these extremist groups and cults really do sell you that idea of the harsh truth and also the truth the secret truth which is a very alluring idea to have you know you know to be a part of a, a group that knows the secret truth of the world is always negative it's never positive it's always horrible it's the harsh reality so the red pill sells you this idea that in the harsh reality of the world women are hypergamous um, which means they um, are attracted only primarily to status and appearance so that's like very like you know physical attractiveness or being high up in the world so that's how you can explain Brad Pitt and that's how you can explain potentially Jeff Bezos. However, they're very kind of, you know, um, rigid. And um, so there's no real nuance available, but it's just this idea that women will kind of marry up. Um, um, but then at the same time, you can trick the system. So if you're in the red pill, you're playing a card game, the cards are stacked against you, but I'll show you how to cheat. And then the idea is you cheat, you win. The black pill is like, that's okay, Sorry, that is, that is kind of the... The pickup artistry um, yeah. kind of movement. What was it? P P U A. P U A. Yeah. P U A. And the kind of pickup artistry movement, where um, I think, I mean, the idea is kind of like I don't know, insanely insulting when I, when I first heard about it. It's the idea that you know women are hardwired to think in a certain way, so they don't really have choice. They just they just randomly kind of go towards certain things, and oh, if yeah. you know what the certain things are, and you do those certain things, you can get any girl you want. That's that's the kind of logic, right? <laughs> It is the logic. And that was like super popular in the early 2000s, like mm. 2011, 2012. Pickup artistry was like all the rage because of that um, book that was released called The Game, which was about the gamification of dating. Um, but the hilarious thing was it didn't work. 
I mean, in terms of the actual success rate of pick artistry was very low and people lied to be influencers online. So they were like, I have a hundred girls. I got 10 girls last night. It's like, no, you didn't. Because actually when I was in college, I remember being at a party and there was a guy there and this is back in like 2014, 2013. Um, there was a guy there who was absolutely trying to use pick artistry and it was so cringy. <laughs> <laughs> like it was so cringy and that's the thing it, it never worked it just made people very weird and creepy to be around and then for some people who you know who really believe this was like a foolproof mm. thing and it didn't work out for them they tried to they think okay this red pill idea is foolproof but it's not working for me which means there's something else here going on and that's how the black pill develops so it's like the mm. black pill was like all the tricks of the red pill. So all the world of the red pill is real. Women are hypergamous. It's all about lookism and status. So lookism being this kind of, you know, appearance-based idea. But you can play the tricks, but you won't win. You know why you won't win? Because you are actually too ugly. Like you are literally too genetically um, disadvantaged yeah. to play the game. So in that card game, um, people who play the black pill, the cards are stacked against them and they're like you know what it's more humiliating for me to play so i'm gonna bow out i'm gonna quit i'm not gonna play can't lose if you don't play and then some of them if they're so inclined will say actually instead of bowing out and not playing i'm gonna topple the table over so that's where you have the resentment and the kind of revenge idea on the game on society Mm-hmm. Again, it's all based on this kind of loose idea and this fake idea of the gamification of dating and the kind of women don't fall in love. Women just see, you know, sex and they just see like all this kind of dating and relationships based on status and genetics. And and we don't have the ability to fall in love genetic or intellectually or, or emotionally. However, men do, apparently, mm-hmm. but women don't. So this is the kind of ideas in the red pill that have been kind of propagated by the black pill as well. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like it's, it sounds very nihilistic, right? And it's oh, my the, God, yeah. And it's the... Um, and something that you mentioned is, is really interesting because it's the idea that, you know, as you say, topple the table over, right? Or, or say, mm-hmm. well, you know, forget this. I'm going to... Um, not just bow out. I'm gonna bow out, and then possibly not. Not saying they all will, but um, you can kind of see the mentality of why um, you know events like and and uh, forgive me because I forget the name, but the the shooter in the states who mm-hmm. um, you know if you see the videos, um, I remember actually watching a documentary about him, like very very narcissistic mm-hmm. incel um, yeah. that then you know video diaried his whole thing and then obviously went out and, and shot a bunch of women um but and men. with that process and men and, but with that process you can kind of see how someone would get to that stage i guess right yeah yeah i mean that is the thing it's it, it's very much you know you have to think of people in human nature. So like while some people, their personalities, if they if they adhere to the black pill, if they believe in the black pill and they believe they're, you know, the ones who are the disadvantaged group and they think, okay, they'll go inwards and they'll start becoming really depressed, really nihilistic. Um, there are kind of three logical conclusions of the black pill. Um, it's what they call LDAR, which is lie down and rot, which is the idea of stop taking place in, uh, taking part in society so this is the idea of don't play the game it's too humiliating for you step out 
but just kind of waste away in your room, play video games, um, don't work, don't participate in work, um, get the dole, you know, go neat, which is not an education, employment or training, um, you know, drop out of college, et cetera, et cetera, because there's nothing in it for you. Um, and then the second one is um, what they call rope, um, which is to, you know, commit suicide. And quite frankly, within the black pill, if you really do believe it, um, that love is not going to happen for you. And not only is love not going to happen, all happiness, this is also in the black pill, all happiness is romantic love. So basically, there is no other way for you to live a fulfilled life without having romantic love. I'm not really sure how they explain away happy monks, but they kind of do. So the idea is you actually should be looking for that. And if you don't get a girlfriend, if you don't get a wife, there is no happiness for you. So what they call it's over. And the last one is go ye or, which is a reference to the Isla Vista shooter who you just mentioned, which is the idea of toppling the table over, take up, take your revenge, go taxi driver on it. And basically within that, kill yourself as well. So it is a mass homicide with suicide. Wow. And obviously you, you're someone that has interviewed incels right and spoken to spoken to incels um do you find that there is one particular out of those kind of um i guess world views or, or, or think or ideas of what they should do right uh, do you find that there's one that kind of holds more weight or is it kind of very sporadic and varied like is there one particular one that's kind of gripping the people that you spoke to one of the three um yeah. outcomes yeah well obviously outcomes, I mean, the roots thing... of being an incel or however you want to describe it yeah yeah so i do have to say that the last outcome go your is not the most popular otherwise we would be hearing far more about this group on the media thank christ and, right i mean yeah <laughs> i mean i know i yeah i mean it is true i mean you see i it's such a it's such a weird ideology because it's one of the only uh, ones I've ever come across that is potentially more lethal to the people who adhere to it than others from it, if that makes sense. So joining ISIS, you're not, you're never really told to kill yourself unless it's an, a martyrdom suicide, but you're not actually just told to kill yourself. And within white supremacy, the whole idea is you join and you feel great about yourself because you're white, um, you know, and you don't want to kill yourself. So it's very much the self-preservation and superiority going on in majority of these extremist groups and cults. Except for the black pill, where literally half of their discussions is about killing themselves. And should they do it? When should they do it? People say, I can't believe you haven't done it already. They're kind of, um, you know, encouraging each other, even like jokingly, like you should kill yourself. All this stuff going on in the forums is very much like self-annihilation. So mm -hmm. I kind of like, so suicide is, is a huge risk coming from this group and I really do believe it. Um, and then, but the most popular to answer your question is the first one, which is to LDAR, lie down and rot, which is to leave society and just kind of stay stagnant at home and don't really try anything. Don't go outside, don't really meet people. What's the point? They're gonna hate you because you're ugly, all this mm. stuff that they tell themselves. And you know, that's that's what I see kind of the most. And that's where you have the addiction coming in as well. There's drug addiction and mm. alcoholism as well in the group. One thing that, that I find quite interesting, and you mentioned obviously the Proud Boys at the beginning, which is obviously a very, very different group. And 
you know, we, we talked a little bit about the the um, the pickup artists, you know, and the idea mm-hmm. that you can that you can game women, you can you can manipulate women essentially. Yeah. Um, the incel movement, at least the way you describe it, seems very very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there kind of conflict between these 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 um male supremacist groups movements because i mean they they clearly think very very differently as to how they should do <coughs> you know fix whatever issue they, they they see needs fixing yeah so um i should kind of this is kind of where i want to bring in the idea of male supremacy so whilst um when i kind of talked about the black pill being very much that the world is status driven looks driven and you're not a part of it that isn't inherently male supremacist. In fact, that doesn't automatically fit into male supremacist ideology. However, male supremacy can also find a very happy home within the black pill by saying, do you know what guys, there was a better time for you once upon a time in a mythical world called the 1950s, you would have had a great job in terms of you would have worked in an office job and you would have had a wife by age 27 with four kids because back then, you know, um, women didn't work so they didn't have their own ability to self-sustain themselves so you were their breadwinner you were their hero when it came to financial stability and they wouldn't have really cared what you looked back like back then because they would have just kind of been interested in that comfy um um, you know life and these days feminism has you know turned women into these kind of promiscuous cruel shallow creatures who are just going for Brad Pitt and if they don't get him um they they're they're okay to sit at home and because they have their own money now and and the far and the other groups been in the manosphere which is Proud Boys, MGTOW um and then you'll also have the far right Stormfront I mean they talk about the same thing um they will agree with that and they will say this is kind of the mythical past we all want to return to so many incels on the incel forums will refer to that and that's why they have this kind of underlying agreement of when was the best time we'd all like to go back there um now as i should say the incel community is very diverse but i am really um, specifying the kind of online forum community but that is kind of the kind of common myth that is the mythical past that ties them all together how they relate to it or kind of how they relate to the world right now could be different but their ideas of when was when it was good for men are really similar and also their ideas of all the bad things that are happening to men are really similar so they'll look at kind of you know all these kind of men's rights activists will pull up all these studies about how men are being um you know disadvantaged in different ways and there could be some truth to it but they really overblow it to make it look like men are super super oppressed by feminism and incels will also cling on to that those ideas as well so the ideas do kind of stay the same yeah um that's interesting and you said that there could be some truth to it what do you mean by that there are always kernels of truth um to every conspiracy theory or conspiratorial Mm -hmm. thinking that are overblown to a huge extent to the to the point where the original um you know thing that was true doesn't even matter anymore because you're you're playing it off like it's it's super true so in the insult community um they will talk about okay so one example i do like to bring up is they will say how come if you go on Twitter, like actually Jordan Peterson did the other day, and fat shame a woman, um, 
hundreds of comments will rescue her or come to her rescue. But if you go on Twitter and you say um, a guy is short, um, nobody rescues him. And it's like, okay, yeah, I, I, I understand. Like, yeah, what can he do? He can't grow. Like, it's not fair to kind of say, look at how short he is or he's short and ugly. I mean, that's cruel. That's, that's not okay. Um, is that enough to make a kind of a consensus that you're being super oppressed? I don't think so. Also, they'll say like, yeah, um, tall men are more likely to be CEOs. Okay, but they're, you know, how tall are a lot of men in Hollywood? I mean, look at like the same Tom Cruise, <laughs> like five five. Like, like they won't take anything to the contrary. They kind of look at these kind mm-hmm. of what works for them. Um, but there is kernels of truth. I mean, yeah, sometimes short men online aren't rescued as much. Mm-hmm. No, and there are other things too, but that is just one example. Yeah, yeah no, of course, of course, and and that's that's um, really interesting because for all the. Um, conspiracy theories and groups that we've spoken about on this podcast there's always been that kernel of truth that we can find and it's kind of this one fact that is verifiably true um, which is then used by said conspiracy to then propagate everything else because it's like if this is true then everything else must be true Um, and it kind of gives it that validity that if you question them they can kind of go back to that fact and kind of use that to then justify everything else but of course anyone um that's uh been in education for any amount of time will will tell you that just because you you get one answer right doesn't mean that you can put the same answer for every other question and expect it all to be right and get full marks that that's just not how, how it works but of course um in a mind that wants it to be true that that just doesn't 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 matter um, yeah. In the same way that you know that you know you look back to the 1950s and it's like yeah men had more had more uh, had more power had more rights women had less, but the idealism of the past is just again massively incorrect because all you got to do is look at the suicide rates of men at the time, um, it was astronomical because you know being the sole breadwinner of a family of four kids and and, and a wife, um you know, you may find that appealing, but why? If you lose your job, like the amount of stress and psychological damage that that was putting on um, men at the time was just was just incredible. Um, yeah. So again, it's yeah, idealizing only a on small part of that. Yeah, yeah. I actually like, I, I love that you said that because I was actually thinking yesterday about that a bit more. And I remembered a conversation I had with um, a guy who was an incel. And he was really upfront about it because a lot of them have this mythical idea that in the 1950s, I would have had like this cushy office job. And he was like, actually, do you know why? I come from a working class family. I'm pretty sure I would have been down the mines and I don't think I would have been cut out for that life. And I was like, yeah, like you would have been down the mines. Like you would have been doing manual labor in the 1950s had you existed. And, you know, for for him, I was like, that that wouldn't have been great. And if he didn't do that, if he did, what else were there? The opportunities weren't this vast idea of all men got everywhere. There was a lot of other issues at play, um, you know, class issues, race issues. And, you know, where you land on the totem pole back then really did determine a lot of your life. And you have a lot more opportunities now. So this idea that they would have been fine back then 
for a lot of them, they absolutely wouldn't have, um, you know, in terms of the, um, you know, there's a lot of disabilities within the community, I have to say as well. And, you know, they wouldn't have had a great time had they existed in a crueler society of the 1950s. Misogyny and patriarchy do not exist in a vacuum. While misogynistic incels take the victimhood narrative to an extreme by blaming their personal insecurities on women, their belief systems and ideologies are developed from and supported by the inherent sexism that exists in day-to-day -day life. Equally, misogyny interacts with other forms of discrimination and prejudice. How does misogyny intermingle with with racial prejudice like does it can you can you see a pattern between the two absolutely absolutely i think i mean i think we absolutely do need to recognize that these that these forms of abuses and oppressions they intersect um it's it's not that you know the sort of misogyny is treated in isolation or racism is in isolation or even ableism or um uh, sort of homophobia they all intersect because this is all about power and control um but um but it could be that so for like for incels i'd say obviously the core of their you know their uh, sort of focus is very much on on women um but it, within within that community they still kind of um talk about I mean they say it's a very um heterosex focus as well they don't recognize um uh, sort of, uh queerness or um homosexuality as a thing it does not fit within their worldview so by omission you know that that's you know that is something so for them it doesn't exist no every... no no, because it doesn't. I mean, for them, the, the model is very much that one of, of uh, heteronormativity. Um, so, for example, uh, so I think if, if there's a discussion about, um, you know, women not necessarily wanting to be with them because that is not their sexual orientation, they are, you know, they're a lesbian, um, they would see that as excuse, that that is something that women are making up, so as to deny them, basically. Um, and also the within the community, because they, they concentrate on attractiveness and they see white, white as, as the most, you know, the most attractive feature a person can be. Um, there's automatically that racial connotation, but right. it's not just extended externally, it's very much internal as well with how they self-describe. And so you do get incels of other ethnicities who are very disparaging about themselves. They give themselves particular labels, which I'm not gonna mention here because it's deeply offensive. Um, um, and um, and and so, as I said, there's that there's that recognition that obviously that that white is supreme. Um, so there's that in, I think the where we get the intersection between sort of uh, manosphere communities and sort of alt right, far right, extreme far right communities. It's I say it's the it's the intersection of um, uh, white supremacism and male supremacism um, combining as well. And in fact, there's been there's some. Um, there's some sort of experts, particularly uh, things like the uh, the Institute of Research on Male Supremacism, um, who say that uh, male supremacism male supremacism can actually be a gateway to white supremacism. So if you kind of engage in those ideas that you know of, of, of well, that, that 
you know, the masculinity needs to be revered, that actually that there's a need to kind of fight back against that society that favours women, um, you'll soon sort of kind of fall into the other areas where you kind of recognise as well that there's this sort of the, the whiteness needs to be preserved as well, which then obviously into the kind of scarier other you know not scarier but other kind of scary um, um, areas such as you know the, the replacement theory and stuff um, that you know that obviously uh, you know people of color are you know going to um, reproduce <laughs> with white women and that's going to you know eradicate the white race um, and so th those conversations through my research I definitely saw being undertaken by incels as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, which is which is um incredibly damaging. It's almost like the, the not necessarily a next step because I don't want to put one hatred above another. No. But no, it's, um, it's not. It does kind of compound that and make it probably um arguably worse when you have someone you know focusing on on both elements. And I mean, the the great replacement theory is something that we um do cover on on another episode. And if you want to uh, check that out, then feel free. Um. <laughs> And, and I did want to ask about this um, idea because there, there is a perception that the incel community and, and communities like it are kind of largely or predominantly um, white presiding, so white male presiding. Would you would you say that that's kind of like a fair assumption? And if this is true, um, is there? A, I mean, I'm guessing you can you you kind of already answered this, but um, is there a kind of racial hierarchy that exists within these communities? So, so yeah, there is that general assumption that incels are predominantly cis, white, het, young men. Um, and in my research, so I, actually my research sort of undertook um, lots of exploration of all loads and loads of different incel sites, videos, blogs, forums, all the spaces. I also interviewed um, some uh, self-identified former and current incels. And mm. through, um, through my data, I did find that most were white presenting or appeared to be white presenting. And I think we need to be think about that critically as well. Um, because I, there's, when I'm just, I mean, I didn't meet with people in person for security reasons. And obviously I'm analyzing what is readily available online. So I'm just taking what is presented I'm taking mm -hmm. what people are saying. So we don't absolutely know for sure if people are white, they're saying they're white. Um, when you think about um, the fact that there is this racial hierarchy as well, um, that people might not want to necessarily disclose that they're not white. So that could factor in as well. When we think about the way the internet as well is constructed, I mean, it is predominantly white English speaking, that gets push the forefront I'm obviously searching uh through you know through you know based in the UK through my site I'm going to be directed to English speaking white presenting sites as well so that's going to be a flaw in the in the kind of sample that I have access to um as well but I think on the other hand because incel is very much about not just hatred externally but also hatred in there's that self-loathing which can also be competitive at times like who's got it worst as well and as I say with that racial hierarchy because you are you know you are seen well incels view themselves as zeta as well the lowest of the low um but you are even lower if that's possible if you're not white as well and so 
actually, on the other hand, it could be that I am getting an accurate representation because people will say that they are of a different ethnicity because they do want to say that they're even lower, if that makes sense. It's 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 almost like self-flagellation in that community where, you know, I'm worse, no, I'm worse, no, I'm worse as well, um, which then also gets directed out externally, you know, to, to blame others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I mean, yeah, the... the um the self-flagellation or the self-deprecation uh, element is really is really interesting and it and it um almost reminds me of the um the early 2000s pro-anna movement where you know people were yeah. uh, actively pushing themselves to be anorexic and pushing others to be anorexic and it was all obviously very 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 self-destructive um and but but you know that kind of idea of misery needs company and misery supports yeah. misery and all those kind of things. Um, you mentioned uh, was it Zetan the 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 idea of kind of uh, you know this kind of higher rankings within I guess the yeah. incel community and they consider themselves ranked lowest. Ranked lowest yeah. out of what? I mean, do, can you yeah. expand so, on that a little bit? It's like so there's the attractiveness scale, so mm-hmm. one to ten, and this I mean uncomfortably I don't think this is just um, unique to incel spaces either I think people you know you see this in mainstream magazines and things and you know in conversations in films and tv you know like oh you know rate yourself at eight and you know then that comparison with your with your partner or you know a sexual partner like you know oh you know are you you know are you comparable you know in terms of looks and so incels really sort of rate themselves against that whereas they would see themselves you know naught to one at a push maybe on an attraction of scale was 10 is who they would call the chad the good looking you know the best looking men and the stacys the best looking women um and they would be white as well you do get um, black versions such as the Tyro- such as Tyrone, but they would only ever be a nine. They could never be ten because they're not white. Um, but it's more than that. It's not so this that so the look the so the look scale, but it's also the sexual marketplace value. Uh, so the SMV, and that's where they see that women have completely got all the power over men. So irrespective of looks, they. The, the opinion is that men will always want to have sex with a woman, regardless of whether or not she's that good looking. Um, so women will always be able to get a sexual partner, whereas um, a man who isn't good looking, but then also doesn't have the you know the wealth, the status, um, the popularity, maybe the charisma, um, they won't get a sexual partner, no matter how nice. And that's that's something they really like to present themselves as, you know, the nice guys. That women don't go for nice guys. Um, so it really does sort of harken back to that perspective, you know, about. Um, about this of early men's you know men's liberation movement you know that actually that importance of wealth as well but they still they still hold on to that and so say that sexual marketplace value smb is very much about you know looks money status basically so a man needs to have ideally all free yeah and that's why well even if it mean but if they've got i mean if you've got some of it you'll still probably have some success in life. Well, success with women. Um, to get all three, well, then, then yeah, you know, you're, you're obviously, you know, made up in life. <laughs> you know, you've got it easy. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, for incels, they, they claim not to have any, which was really interesting because those I interviewed were edu- claimed to be educated, claimed to, some of them claimed to be professionals. And so I would argue they had status and 
you know, on many, but they still would, would consider themselves incel. Mm-hmm. And why do you think there's this focus on um, the the nice guy or, or, or and it, you know this isn't something that's that's new. I think I've, we've heard about this from from incels, even you know the um, the the self uh, identified incel that um, did all those videos in the states and then did the did the mass shooting. I, I forgive me, I forget his name, but um, it's probably best not to say his name because right. that's just giving him the infamy that he wanted. Right. Um, but I, I, um, you know, they, there's, there is very much as you, as you say, this emphasis on the nice guy or the fact that you know, I'm a really nice person, yeah. but obviously, um, yeah, women are this, that, and the other, and they're they're not interested in 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 nice. I mean, it almost is it is almost like a shaded insult. But, but why do you think there's this focus on that? Well, it's 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 very entitled, isn't it? It's that entitled that if I'm nice to you, I automatically deserve something back. I mean, mm. surely that's just a default. Let's just be mutually respectful to people and be nice. You don't necessarily mean to, you know, get something back in return. That's the but bottom is... line: is yeah. being a nice person. Like that should not be something to exactly. strive towards. <laughs> no, exactly, and it shouldn't mean that. Yeah, but it's it is. It's that, but it's that that expectation, isn't it? That 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 yeah the, the women need to give something back in return and you know we see this and there's almost like you know what may seem like banal instances of sexism or microaggression but it's all you know it's all part of that bigger continuum where you know that expectation of oh, I've bought you dinner I've bought you a drink what you know I've been nice to you what am I get back in return there's I think there's something about that which is heavily gendered as well we don't necessarily hear about it so much if you flip it with women and men or I mean I'm not saying it never happens I'm not saying because I think there's power dynamics as well but if there's you know I think if there's a woman in a position of authority over a man that she might well be able to abuse that but I think generally in the kind of the the sort of negotiations between in relationships and societal structures I think I think we tend to see it the other other way around where it's like women need to you know we need to be grateful we need to you know and I think going back to that that perception that you know we are submissive that we you know that we do kind of that the men are entitled to us in some way incels speak to and fit into a wider cultural conversation around mainstream gender norms. Women continue to be sexually objectified across various industries, from popular culture to politics to the workforce, while gender-based violence continues to disproportionately affect female victims. Misogyny exists on and offline. What the incel community has done through the virtues of the internet is capitalize and rearticulate already existing gender norms. Do you feel like on that point, do you feel like there's a problem with the way the media portrays masculinity or women? Because it has to come from somewhere, right? I mean, don't get me wrong, some of these ideas are are old as time, um, mm-hmm. because misogyny is nothing new. Mm-hmm. But do you feel like the problem is being compounded by the way the media covers masculinity, men, and um, how how they portray women? Yeah, like totally. Like I mean, again, like incels are not this like these aliens who came from outer space who invented this new thing called misogyny or male supremacy or however you want to paint it. 
like they are just young guys who are reacting to the messages they're receiving because like it's not like they're having the perfect lies and then decide to be raging misogynists I mean I do think that there are some guys now on the forums who are not actually incel who are just using the trope to get away with being really violently misogynist and racist online but um for the majority you know they are just reacting and the messages that we have gotten like you know all throughout my like life whenever I've watched like movies when I was younger like teen dramas and movies like that it was always like the hot cool guy won the girl like the girl was always the prize and she was always this like really beautiful like stunning looking girl who like I'm there being like 14 being like okay I I don't know if I'm I'm gonna look like her um but for guys watching it it's like okay I might be able to look like him, like in terms of he could be the cool guy, but he also could be like the nerdy guy. And if the nerdy guy just goes some, through some trials and tribulations, he'll win the affection of the girl in the end, American Pie. I mean, you know, all these tropes and ideas of women as the prize, if you do the right things, is really like confusing for young guys watching it. And then when they try to do that and knock that in real life in their kind of teen worlds, and it doesn't work out. I mean, that's got to be frustrating, um, especially because, you know, that's a lot of the messages you're getting. I really do believe that instead of kind of mental, like, you know, a lot of people will be like, let's put them all in mental health and like, you know, let's give them counseling as if, which is, I, I really like think is good for many of them. And I really would definitely always suggest to guys who are in the insult community to go for counseling because I do think it is needed. But it doesn't mean they're not delusional. Like they're not, they're not actually reacting to something completely crazy. Um, like we've had years of looking at like these super macho guys on TV and movies, like James Bond, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, Chris Kyle, American Sniper, like all these super, super macho, hyper masculine guys. And then we have the Marvel franchises where they're all like buff and six foot. I don't know, I don't watch comic book movies, but you know. I mean, um, you're not far wrong, yeah. And like, what if you're like, not that though? And like, you're watching that and you're like five, seven and you're like, okay, I'm five, seven and I'm a slightly underweight guy. And I'm kind of like, not very assertive. I don't really like, you know, going out too much and going to clubs or anything. Like, am I not a real man? And mm-hmm. all these guys also in the movies also always attract the girls. And like, what if you're 21 and you just haven't had luck with women? And they start really thinking about their identity. Like, am I actually a real man or? what am I like am I even like valued in society like what am I it's like yeah you are valued but there isn't a lot of messaging to prove that to you in Mm. terms of cinema Lisa echoes similar sentiments to Maeve when it comes to the correlation between online spaces and real-world gender-based violence do you see um and this is something that uh, we've been talking about with a bunch of different guests on on the podcast on a variety of different conspiracy theories. Do you see the um, online, uh, you know, online contribution to to gender based violence? You see it increasing, decreasing, staying the same, or is there not enough research at the moment? Would you say? No, I think unfortunately it is increasing with the advent of technology. I think um, at the core, some of these 
conspiracy theories, this 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 mis and disinformation um, predates the internet and things. There's, oh, you know, there's some pretty messed up ideas about gender and sex roles and stereotypes and things like that. But they've certainly found a new avenue online. And I think because of the, um, the affordances of technology to bring people together, bring like-minded communities together to kind of engage in these discussions where they might not ordinarily feel comfortable to do so or even have the opportunity to do so in person that I think it is growing it is becoming a much more significant problem and I think on you know on the surface it looks like society is becoming more progressive we've had you know we've had movements such as Me Too and Time's Up and other other forms of activism that has made real societal change um, in terms of gender equality but then there's been this inevitable backlash as well towards it um and so yeah i think the problem unfortunately is only becoming more significant so is there a correlation would you say then between online um radicalization of this nature and and, and gender-based violence yeah i think i think i mean i think radicalization is obviously one of those contentious terms we need to kind of unpack a little bit um i think certainly there is something something very concerning about the you know the the narratives that is being propagated within these spaces and the ideologies but they're not unique to these spaces that they you know they are um, repurposing um just normalizing what can actually be found in broader mainstream society as well um but yeah i think there's i mean it's certainly, yeah, it's damaging. I so say radicalization is such a contentious term for me, but I don't want to also downplay the very real harms and impacts that that these ideas are having in terms of, say, normalizing um, anti-feminist rhetoric and violence against women, and as I said, the oppression of, of minority communities. So, do you think it plays a role, like a, a significant role, in in, in the kind of yeah. real world actions? This is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, but I also think, I mean, I think, I think as well, you know, I, I'd be loath or hesitant to say that, you know, somebody's going to engage with this content online and then just automatically go out and, and commit physical violence. No, of course. I think, I think what, I think obviously what the danger is that you've got those that are already predispositioned to violence who are then engaging with these narratives, these ideologies, which then gives them an excuse, a justification um, to right. then, you know, that they, they they think that, or you know, that there's there's that very valid reason. They've got the solidarity and the support to do this. Um, there's something really quite seductive as well, isn't it? About you know thinking you've got that community support that, you know, your problems are all external to you um, as well. That you know that, that there is an, a common enemy as mm -hmm. well to fight back against. So yeah, it definitely plays a role. Um, but I. Yeah, it's just it's just sort of understanding those nuances and being a, bit, a little bit critical about it rather than just kind of going, you know, yeah, so if somebody reads this stuff that they're going to be committing violence, that's obviously not not mm. not as, as straightforward as that. No, of course not. Of course not. And and, and you're completely right. You know, that it is an incredibly attractive argument, you know, to to um, start to believe that all of the problems that you're encountering in your personal life are because of someone else. Uh, even more so when that someone else doesn't look like you. Um, yes. In one way it's or another. Yeah. Um, and this, I mean, this is an argument that's as old as time. Like th this is nothing new. Um, 
it, it you I think we're just seeing it more um because of how how readily available it is online um the UK hasn't classified um misogyny as a hate crime do you think that's an issue and do you think that this has made the incel movement more more difficult to monitor or, monitor or, or deal with um so this is yeah this is a very difficult one for me um because um on the one hand i mean i think yes it gives i mean that if, if it had been classified as a hate crime misogyny had been classified as, re- as a hate crime it would certainly give you know that recognition that you know that this is that you know that that obviously these behaviors aren't tolerated or condoned but they i think i mean it wouldn't have necessarily made it a crime as such it would just be it would just be sort of added to a protected statistic a protected characteristic um and i think there were certain issues in enabling it um which i i did feel uncomfortable about in terms of i think it probably would have led to further stigmatization of those who are already oppressed anyway in terms of who who would actually be prosecuted for these types of crimes and things it probably wouldn't be those that we're actually talking about today um in terms of incels and stuff i think it would i think there'd be all sorts of other issues but again that's probably another discussion um but unfortunately and certainly through my work it's almost as if sort of gender gender kind of perspectives and that that recognition of the very real threat from misogynist perspectives is almost like last on the kind of priority list. Um, it's not necessarily always taken as seriously. Um, it's the last taboo as well. And I think often things that, you know, and so, uh, so that recognition that sexism is that bigger part of misogyny. And so things that have been now kind of everyday forms of sexism and microaggression, they're not taken seriously and without recognizing how it plays into that bigger continuum as well. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, it's, it is, I mean, so I think not just looking in isolation at, at, at um, misogynist hate crime, but actually thinking where gender there's is being overlooked in existing or new and emerging forms of legislation i think that's that's probably a really significant area to look at instead so for example we've got the online safety bill mm-hmm. that's been gender does not feature anywhere within it um and yet we know that women and minority groups so taking into account intersectional issues as well are disproportionately affected by online harms and yet that is nowhere in it Neither is violence against women and girls, and I appreciate obviously violence against women and girls is is you know is a priority at the moment, particularly for you know for our government. Um, but it's still the terminology as well. I have a real issue with violence against women and girls. It's a passive term. It's as if violence is just happening to women and girls. It's responsibilizing women and girls. It's saying the problem is with them. It's not naming the actor. And statistically, we know it is men. Who is who are perpetrated most of the violence against women and girls, and so why is that not the term that's being used? Um, there, you know, this is something that you will see um, a lot of um, charities and um, uh, organisations that support victim survivors using that term because they recognise, you know, they recognise the root cause of the problem. Um, but I think there's just so much defensiveness and pushback against it. You know, it's the you know hashtag not all men. We know it's not all men, but we know it is men who is predominantly causing this. It's some men, some men who are abusing the majority of women and girls. It's the gen- it's the gender equivalent of all lives matter. It is. It absolutely it's... is. Well, it was what that's what was trending after the murder of Sarah Everard, 
when mm -hmm. you know when when people were saying you know that this is men's violence why is it not being taken seriously and then the hashtag not all men was trending yeah i mean it's, it's people obviously very um uh being being very delicate um about, about these issues and you know to, uh, conflating and confusing the conversation um because it's the it's the it's the it's the it's the equivalent of a house burning and the fire brigade going to your neighbor's house because that house is also relevant um to check to make sure that it's not burning whilst your house burns to the ground yeah, yeah. um and then you going angrily to the fire brigade and saying why did you not come to my house and i said well all houses matter so surely the neighbor's house yeah. matters too whilst yeah. your house is burning to the ground and i think yeah. that that's reality so although yes all lives matter and it isn't all men we have to stop ignoring the problem Absolutely. and um the demographic of the perpetrators dealing with the problem um speaking online um you, you mentioned um obviously that for your research you went to uh reddit and and, and those kind of forums where i mean aside from that i mean is there kind of like a, an area of choice or a platform of choice for, for these kind of groups? Um, the majority can be found on their own dedicated sites. Um, a right. report, I mean, it was like incels.co, incels.is, incels.be. It keeps, it keeps getting shut down and then re-established. Um, As is so the nature you know, of the majority of this kind of internet. Yeah, um, but Reddit, so subreddits, again, keep getting shut down when they when they go that step too far. Um, so there, there's, there's quite a few incel subreddits still. Um, 4chan and then you're going into the, obviously the darker spaces that you know the the more kind of extreme the 8chans chans, of this world the 8chans, yeah. yeah it keeps going and 16 chan, i mean they all get shut down again and you know i can't keep up with them they they you know it's like whack-a-mole you shut them down they just keep popping back up don't they um but you yes i mean there's incels are active on on what's more the more mainstream platforms so twitter tiktok instagram facebook um gaming sites as well is you know is something that is not really considered as much as well but what i would say as well it's not just i think it's the legacy of incel as well that we find permeating other spaces not just not just sites that are you know, dedicated to incel you know where you see the language and see the ideas that are infiltrating everywhere where you go okay it might not necessarily be to say this is this is being said by an incel but it's still it's still the same as what you know, same as what incels would say. So I think it's about being aware of the reach of it as well. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. And considering it's such a pervasive problem for um, almost all the major platforms, I think you've named there. Um, considering your, your your research and kind of the the experience you have, how can, um, or rather, what can social media platforms do more? Um, to make sure that they're not contributing to the problem by allowing their well, platform to be used stop those echo chambers basically i mean the algorithms are really messed up do you know it is that you can easily fall down that rabbit hole of where you just you know and you engage in with some sort of related content and then you just end up being provided more and more and it can get more and more extreme actually so i think they really need to to look at that i mean obviously there's the question of should they be hosting this hateful and abusive you know material in the first instance and of course this goes back to the you know well what you know 
what legislation, what you know, what would it take to, for them to take it down? I mean, we know they are capable of removing offensive materials, and certainly now they're obviously going to be held to account in terms of protecting their users more under the, the UK Safety Bill. Um, there's something about that, um, but of course, in, you know, incel, you know, they're not. They, to be an in, and this is the sort of difficulty, isn't it? The, you know, there's misogynist incels, and then there's other incels that probably still align to that kind of gender inclusive community that was first envisaged as well. So you can't really demonize the whole the whole group or even just the term. The term has obviously got incredible negative connotations, and rightly so in some aspects now. Um, but I think it's certainly that responsibility of platform providers to stop promoting this content you know just making it readily available and accessible um i think you know i think that is the that's the minimum that they can do often echo chambers of extremist thought and those who believe in them are seen as existing in society's fringes the reality is the matrix provided us a snapshot into our current climate a media saturated hyper-commercialized and machine-dominated culture that has amplified already existing gender norms to a degree with very real and dangerous consequences. It is impossible to fully predict how this online noise will migrate from the internet and cross over into the real world. What we do know is that the manosphere is currently flourishing in clandestine closed platforms like Telegram, Discord and Gab, where there is much less moderation, regulation or oversight. Equally, it is likely that attempts to stamp out extremism from these platforms will cause another migration to a different group of platforms, and the game of cat and mouse will continue uninterrupted. Understanding that our wider society is implicated in the emergence and spread of the incel subculture means perhaps coming to terms with the social structure that tolerates patriarchal social norms. The good news is that, unlike the Matrix, we have the freedom to choose our own reality. Thank you for listening to season two of Media Minded, the show guiding you through the age of disinformation. This podcast is produced by Shoutout UK and edited by Sabina McKenzie-Brown. Make sure to follow Shoutout UK on Twitter and Instagram to get updates on all of our upcoming episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to the Media Minded podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This episode is made possible by the generous support and sponsorship of the US Embassy in London. Thanks for listening and remember, stay informed.